When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 266 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and Emil Evanesian is joining me once again today. Emil, today we're talking the General Assembly, the Memphis Dubai signing, I mean, much, much more, including the Copa and Euro and all that good stuff. There's a lot to keep track of, even though it's the summer months. It's actually a little more tranquil when the season's actually going on, when all we have to worry about is games. But right now, there's, between the games and the admin and all the potential admin and sort of, I guess, almost like the the HR stuff that's going on, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot to pin down. I mean, it's fun. It's fun to try, but it's, it's some work. Yeah. I mean, but there's also three to four games on every day as well. And, right. <laughs> but I'm related to Barcelona, but yeah, where we start is with, we'll say one of the biggest admin, the thing that people care most about, and that is signings. You and I last week talked about the Memphis to buy signing little note off the top. He wants to be called Memphis. Uh, there was a really good piece in The Athletic that I read this week about his time, and we kind of spoke about this last week, but his his failure at, at Manchester United and his upbringing. For those who don't know, Memphis Dubai had a pretty difficult upbringing. He wants to be called Memphis because his mother couldn't afford to get rid of the last name after the divorce from her father, I mean, from his father, who she didn't see much of as he was growing up. He got into a bit of trouble, but he, there was Leandris is the last name of his life coach or this, this gentleman who coached him at a very young age. I think it was, it was either at Sparta Rotterdam or I think it was a PSV when he moved over and uh, when he was 11 years old. Yeah, it was a PSV, right. And then uh, Leanders, he basically became a, a life coach and he didn't make the move with him to Manchester. And it winds up being a really important moment in his career, even though he's in his early 20s. Interesting, this is a knock on the athletic story, but he... The story kind of ends with his time going to Lyon mid-season. Yep. So it doesn't actually finish the story of, or, uh, you know, the sports narrative of redemption, right? And I think at this point, we already are now three plus years into his redemption story, if you will. He's doing the same thing with the Netherlands. And the person that you're reading about in The Athletic or that person that you read about through the myopic lens of uh, the English-speaking media in the UK, which seems to dictate all our understanding of every player, including Iago Aspas. You think about Iago Aspas yeah. and his time at Liverpool, uh, that was a, what was he there, for eight months or something, or, or 14 months, and yet you seem like that's his whole career, when in truth, Iago Aspas has been doing it for seven, eight years now at, at the highest level. Iago Aspas is a legend in Spain. Of course. 
And in England, he's seen as sort of this flop who wasn't good enough. And I mean, it, it's the, I think Yago Aspas is the perfect example of kind of the, the chasm between if it doesn't click for you in, in the Premier League and just given the size of the, the English speaking media and the, and the English media in particular, you are kind of branded as whether it's a flop or, you know, if, if you have a bad couple of years, you're branded as a head case or, you know, one thing or another. But Iago Aspas is an absolute legend. And, you know, he had a bad spell at Liverpool and, and that kind of became his perpetual, sort of his permanent narrative. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Right, and I think Memphis, it, his story is a bit different than Yara Aspas off the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, Memphis, for all those those things in the English tabloids about players doing the wrong things off the field, well, yes, Memphis Dubai did have an issue with a Rolls Royce. Yes, he did have an issue with, I, mean, I don't know, cars. So there was another very fancy muscle car or sports yeah. car mm-hmm. that he had an issue, uh, an issue with with a, a farmer, and he pays him off, and it's his whole thing. And so off the field, there, there was some trouble that, that was following him, and he, again, had a history of getting into to fights with uh, people, but then again, going back to his past, it's incredible to see the fact that he became a world-class football It tells you the kind of talent that he does have. So uh, talking more about him on the field, that's actually still where the worries seem to be about what position he will yeah. play. And I think the injury to Usman and Dembele, which is kind of the news of the week, especially yeah. today, it came out that he will now be requiring surgery on a bicep tendon tear in his hamstring, which as we know with Dembele, gosh darn it, another hamstring injury. So out another four months is Dembele, meaning he most likely won't be back until the end of October, which does on paper say that he'll be a part of most of the season, where he is going to be missing two months of offseason, and in theory he'll kind of rev up to hopefully be a part of the squad and clicking by November. But that said, I'm not sure if that does change things for Memphis Dubai, because now his integration into the team will be with less competition. Because we're still assuming that Coutinho, probably Trincao, are already out the door. And right. for Dembele, the only thing that truly changes is his co- contract renewal. Because yeah. it seems like, yes, there might be other suitors. But now Barca at a point where they can't sell him injured. And yeah. if he's going to just let his contract expire on a free, Barcelona kind of might be forced to deal with that the player is going to have to really bank on himself if he thinks that he's going to be able to get a large sum of money at the end of the season. Because, I mean, let's say he chooses and has to kind of publicly come out and tell the club, hey, I'm leaving on a free in June or at at the end of June 2022, then the club can say, well, you know, we don't truly need to be playing you that much if you're going to be just on the sideline and you're injured anyway. So now, how much is he going to be? How much are his wages going to be? It might be more beneficial for him to sign, let's say, almost what Memphis Dubai is doing with a two-year contract for Dubai. Right. I mean, for Memphis and Dembele might say, "Hey, let's do a year plus, or you know, a year and a whatever it is, a player option, whatever, some kind of right. some kind of second uh, plus renewal for a club renewal." So let's do two years. Let me bank on myself again to stay healthy finally. And then I'll make a lot more in wages when I come off the books in a year or two, as opposed to that might not be an option. Well, I think that's exactly right. Because I mean, I think, I don't think it's quite as common in European football, but I think um, in American sports, you see whether it's guys who are coming off of a couple of down seasons or injured plate seasons, or, you know, some combination of the two, or guys who are trying to rehab their, their reputations, they'll take a, a one-year contract or a two-year contract that might not even be worth all that much financially, but it's almost seen as, you know, they, they call them prove it deals and you take this deal and you're going to show up and you're going to work and you're going to perform and you're going to show for a second season, you're going to show the open market what you're, what you're capable of and what you're potentially worth. And I think given this injury, I think that is the way for, for Dembele to go because he's on huge wages at Barcelona. And so, yeah, I mean, he can run that down and, and kind of do that and hit the open market because I mean, the fact is 
it's not an ideal scenario between kind of him and the club as far as what he wants, what, what the club wants from him and what he's sort of tangibly produced on the pitch. So, I mean, I do think that some sort of a renewal, and I do think in the short term, because it doesn't burden the club with another long-term big money contract that they, that they have to deal with. I think that might actually be the best way to go for both parties. Because I do think, I mean, and it really, it's a, it's a massive bummer because in, in the moments when he's firing, like when it, when it all sort of crystallizes and, and clicks, it is just, it's breathtaking and he is phenomenal and he is what the club needs. He's that, he's that sort of jolt and kind of a wild card that doesn't, doesn't exist in a lot of other players. I don't know that it's going to happen with Barcelona. And it's not, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff online too about how much kind of abuse he gets from Barcelona fans, which I think is also just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he, he doesn't deserve that. Yeah. You know I mean? I don't think he's ever shown up n- not intending to play, not intending to try and not trying to do well. His, his body has betrayed him these last, what's it been, three years, I guess. So, I mean, I think the best thing to do is to kind of find a resolution that is, you know, I guess mutually beneficial as, as best it can be. And so you find a way where he can extend his contract and you're kind of not leaving, not leaving him in the lurch, but you give him an opportunity to, to regenerate a market for himself when his contract does run out and, because when he is right, there shouldn't be any shortage, any shortage of suitors for him. So, I mean, I do think that's actually probably the best way to go. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content... Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing about him is that with this season being... I mean, his baby's best season in four or five years since he was 19 years old between Rennes and Dortmund because he was able to stay on the field. And the interesting thing so far we've seen from him is when he recovers, he recovers to be the same player that he was prior to the injury, which is not what we see. I mean, in some of the cases that I'm thinking about, and these players were older when those, we'll say, final injuries and they had to bet on themselves. Robbie Fowler is an example for me. Joe Cole, I'm thinking of near the end of his career as well. But again, he was in his what? I guess his career kind of turned sideways at 27, 28 is when he had those injuries. Yeah, I mean, things kind of went nasty. He, yeah, he got hurt early. But but still, I mean, he was still a good hand, you know, yeah. two or three years but, older than... But, but this is now. different than Brazilian Ronaldo or uh, Michael Owen, who by... Yeah. I mean, that is more similar to the case of Ansu Fati, where it, they were this thing, this prodigious talent, and then injury kind of derailed them at such an early age most yes. of their career was the second player that we saw, not the first one. For Dembélé, I mean, even at just at 24, he seems, again, always recover and always be what he is. So moving away from Dembélé, we're going to talk about him in, in three, four months' time. But the contract renewal is the thing to, to watch, the thing to listen yeah. for. For Memphis, I think that does simplify things a little bit with that depth chart. Just because yeah. of the wages and because of transfer fees, Brothwaite and Trincao, I think, again, whether it's a loan for Trincao, whatever it is, they're probably yeah. on the way out. And now you look at that forward depth chart because it's funny enough, last week's uh, episode title or uh, that I did with Levon was, is there too many forwards? Because you looked, right. at, it, you looked at that list and uh, keeping Coutinho and Brothway and, and Trincao, as I said, there was a fear that, and Levon said this pretty, pretty prudently, that people might want Trincao, but Brothwaite is just going to have to leave for whatever number. And yeah. Coutinho is, that's, that, that's a mess. I mean, numerically, it's financially a mess, but... You're going to think that you're going to just need to get basically have somebody pay for that loan again. It might be the only thing that happened yes. with Coutinho, very much like what Real Madrid did with James Rodriguez, where they just kind of kept loaning him out for an amount because he's a he's a good enough player for a club to take an eight million euro loan on or a six million euro right. loan on for the season, and then you just weed down his contract. But that doesn't really help too much. Again, that's what James Rodriguez did at Real Madrid, and then he winds up going to Everton on a free a free transfer. Now, I want to talk quickly about Memphis. So, one quick hit here is that Ron Araujo, Emil, this is a two-second answer for you. Is it worry you that he is injured again this summer? Now he's uh, injured at the Copa America for Uruguay? I mean, it's not great. <laughs> it's, uh, obviously, I mean, I don't know if I'm long-term worried. I know he's part of the part of the plan. And so sort of recurring injuries start to kind of plant the seed of of concern and kind of recurring concern. And I mean, I'm going to stop short of worried. I mean, I think it's just like, it's a downer and it complicates the situation and what the squad is going to look like when, you know, when they reconvene in what, like a month and a half. <laughs> and so that that's the problem too. It's just, everything has been so condensed. And I know this is largely kind of normal in a, in an international tournament season, but there's just very little time for for recovery. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'm not going to say sort of long-term kind of worried, but it's really suboptimal for kind of, because I feel like this is supposed to be the season where, you know, at least the, the way we're thinking about it is Barcelona is starting to clear the decks a little bit and put out something resembling at least the skeleton of the longer the, the longer term squad that we're going to see, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, there's going to be ins and outs, but you know, within all of that, we're we're at least supposed to see kind of the a little bit of the future and a little bit of the old guard and just all of that sort of coalescing with a little bit less sort of chaos swirling around everything. So in that sense, I think it's I think it's kind of a big downer, but in in the long term, I think it's all right. Yeah, uh, back to Memphis real quick here. Little side yeah. note, he is the 21st Dutch player in Barca history. And I'm yeah. really interested to see, as I, I have a big master list of all the other 20 that came to Barcelona, I'm interested in what tier he'll be compared to 
I mean, he's only there potentially for two years. So I don't know if he'll yeah. able to get the name cachet. I mean, Patrick Kluivert was really, really good for the club. Philip Koku, yes. his former manager, was really, really good for the club. I don't know if he's going to be the likes of De Jong, but he could, even in two years, he could think uh, Mark Van Bommel, who was okay. I mean, he was okay. Right. Van Bronckhorst was there for four years. So maybe that kind of talent. I mean, you'd hope that he, do, he does better than Mark Overmars because actually this is where the comparison came in. When Mark Overmars comes in in 2000, you remember during the Dark Ages, yep. Overmars was yep. the big signing of that summer in 2000. Yes. And because of the outgoing, uh, I know Frances isn't here, but I think he, he, he feels me saying Luis Figo's name. So, I mean, I can feel his... <laughs> yeah, that was the Figo year. Yeah, yeah. right. I could feel... Yeah, so basically, they took the Figo money and dumped it into Overmars yeah. and a handful of other guys. But I think but the difference... Was, Overmars was a headliner. Right, and the difference is the expectations were over Mars because of the money that was spent for him that he had to do this thing that he that he had to be the guy. He had to be the savior. And for Memphis, I, that's not the case. Coming on a, a free... Even though it's a moment where you need to win because Barca yeah. always needs to win, coming on a free transfer in the way that he is, last year he had 22 goals and 12 assists in 40 matches you know, on the season. Yeah. Griezmann, meanwhile, in 51 matches, so 11 more matches, had 20 goals and 12 assists. So I, the question for you is, what is the numerical expectation of Memphis this year, knowing that he's probably going to take a little bit of a hit in terms of his goal and assist production? Because we're assuming we're going to get to Messi next. He's next, but assuming Messi is returning, <laughs> then Memphis's production is obviously going to take a little bit of a hit. Right. So, yeah, assuming he's not going to see the pitch as much as he, he did in, in Lyon. I mean, I think... I mean, it's really difficult to kind of put numbers on it, but just to kind of ballpark it. I mean, I would say that, I mean, I'm, I'm picking numbers, but I think these might be reasonable. I mean, if you could say sort of 15, you know, sort of 13 to 15 and sort of seven or eight assists, given the way that he plays and assuming now, if he is really purely a substitute, then that estimate is too high. But if he is actually going to get some starts, whether through injury and also just through kind of squad rotation and trying to save some legs and things like that. I mean, ability-wise, I mean, he's, you know, like we, we've talked about before, he's he's worked with Kuman before. He knows sort of the, I don't even know if it's the kind of the, the Barca way or at least like kind of the, the, the Dutch mentality and Kuman in particular, he, he knows sort of what his role would be expected to be. Now, obviously, like you said, we're going to talk about Messi. That sort of because his role with Leon. Well, I don't know if it's purely kind of the Messi role. We talked about he's kind of had a little bit of a free role, and he's allowed to flow a little bit more around the field. Whereas, I mean, I think given given what Barca have, again, sort of asterisk assuming Messi, he's he's best on the left, kind of cutting in onto his right, yeah, and he will be very good at that. And so, I mean, I do think he'll get goals and get assists. So, I mean, assuming a reasonable, a reasonable amount of playing time, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he kind of, if he topped it, if he got right around a dozen goals or even topped it a little bit. And I mean, maybe I'll adjust the assist number down to maybe six or seven, but around there, I mean, I'd say about 13 and seven, let's say. I'm wondering what their best front three is going to look like. As we said, we were assuming Ansu Fati will be able to play, and Aguero was the one player. That we, when I say too many forwards, Aguero is also there in the mix. And I know the club, and everyone wants a club to be pushing for a number nine, but that, that's physically impossible to happen. And I think either way, a number nine is still going to be the thing that's missing, where because yep. Memphis, as we said, I think a worry that he doesn't add width isn't true. So the more I looked at it, even with the Netherlands, because he starts out so far wide... He's not yeah. Neymar, obviously, but I think there's this, there is an idea that if he is willing to run, which is something he didn't do in his career, which is uh, early, yeah. but it's something he does now, if he's willing to run yeah. and fight for an entire game, you could certainly see him starting on the left and coming out. I think his best role in that, even last season for Lyon, he started 100% of the matches he played in for Lyon last season. He is a starting player. And he does not do well off the bench. And that's something that's going to have to be considered. Yeah. So the more I'm breaking this down and he's saying, well... He's even vocally said that. Yeah. Like he, he's even said that he kind of mentally... 
I don't know if he like, I don't know if it's malicious, but I think he's kind of said that he mentally sort of checks out a little bit when he's not in the starting 11. Like he finds it difficult to sort of engage with the game and lock into the game when he's not starting it. And obviously that's a negative because that's not an excuse at the biggest club when you're competing for spots with <laughs> Messi and Griezmann and the like. But going back to that thing, that a point that Ansu Fadi again, his the question mark becomes his health. I think Aguero, no matter what, is a substitute coming off the bench. But Griezmann, yeah. I, I think, will continue to be the actual the question mark, the key here, along with Ansu Fadi's health. That if you told me that Barcelona's, if they play, let's say next year they play a four three three. Uh, because mm-hmm. I, even with the three five two, there's just so many forwards. I don't. I mean, unless yes. uh, Levon and I want to give credit to Charlie Barca as well. Unless their dream comes true and Griezmann plays as an attacking midfielder, I don't see right. how that three five two gets enough of the guys on the field who are going to be waiting to come on the field with Ansu Fati right. back. Mm-hmm. And so I could see Ronald Koeman going with a four three three this season. Yeah. And I, it could be December. And if you told me that the best starting front three is Depay on the left, Ansu Fadi in the middle, and Messi on the right, that would not be crazy to me. Because of... If I don't Ansu, think that's crazy. I, I mean, I, it's, and the reason I say that is because it's Griezmann and Messi still occupy the same parts of the field. And as much as Depay does have a free role, I worry about that on the counterattack. And I worry about that when it comes... That's a, it seems to me that's a direct correlation to the fact that De Young and Pedri, if Dubai is not going to, let's say if he's going to do the same amount of ball pressures that Messi does, if he's going to, it's not even about effort. It's just about his positioning, as I talk about the boring stuff about rest defense. When Barca lose the ball, uh, is if Dubai and Messi are in spots that aren't prepared to win the ball right back and pressure. Way out of the way, yeah. Right. Then it's going to put so much onus on Pedri and De Young once more. And then I can see us complaining about Busquets. I can see us complaining that why isn't Ricky Puj playing? Well, Ricky Puj is not playing because Memphis and, and Messi together right. aren't necessarily in the right. It's not a wrong thing that they're doing. They're creating offense. They're creating shots. They're creating chances. Yes. But Puj can't possibly be expected because of the positions he takes up offensively on the field, which is why you right. put him on the field because of all the good things he does. And yeah, he can get stuck right. in a tackle. But we're talking about the moment that Barcelona take that shot and give the ball away or the moment that that shot is blocked or the moment that uh, Fatih or Messi or Memphis lose the ball and it's coming the other way, right? So the fears I had from last season, I'm a little nervous that defensively Memphis doesn't really rectify those in a way that Griezmann might because Griezmann is the player that does. does. I don't think he does. And for that reason, I'm... I'm a little bit partial. So I don't think it's crazy when you say that the, the best front three could be Memphis, Ansu, Ansu Fati, and Leo on the right. But the one thing is, and I think we talked about with Griezmann, he's, he's pretty tireless. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, he left Diego Simeone's orbit, but he still has that kind of tireless workhorse mentality. And, and I think he's, he, he falls into a weird category of player, I think where in a weird way, now kind of stay with me for a second. It's a little bit of almost like the Beckham thing where David Beckham, the, whatever it was, the, the brand and the, the aura of David Beckham, I think colored a lot of non-close observers views of what he was or how he was as a player. But anything you ever read from him, read about him from coaches and teammates and things like that, is this dude was tireless. Like he would practice, he would show up early, he would leave late, he he loved the game and he was there to do the thing. He was a football player. All of this kind of like the celebrity and the blitz and glamour sort of sprung up around him. And I feel like there's a little bit of, you know, with Griezmann, that he's he's not Beckham, but I think there's a little bit of, you know, he puts out a documentary. Right? You know, what is it like the, the making a legend or something yeah. like that? You know, and so I think it's kind of easy to to sort of paint him as sort of an, an overly arrogant, just completely full of himself. You know, sort of almost like an entitled entitled superstar type, but he works like crazy. And for that reason, I think he's 
I do think he might need to have a place in in the front three, which is where things get complicated. So I don't know. So that's why I kind of see the, if you want to make him an, an attacking midfielder, I don't know if that works, but otherwise you end up with the juggling of, if you have him up front, if Messi's there, obviously you have Messi up front. And then you have one spot for Ansu Fati, Memphis, and, you know, I mean, I guess Aguero is just sort of a, a floating substitute. Yeah. Now, the the only problem that I have with that is I don't, I wouldn't want to, rest- I think in an ideal scenario, if everyone is healthy and kind of firing on all cylinders, I think Ansu Fati, Messi, and Griezmann, or, you know, kind of Ansu, Griezmann, Messi, but some combination of Ansu and Griezmann up front with Messi kind of having his free role, mm-hmm. I think is the ideal scenario. And in that sense, Memphis is something of an ideal substitute for them because he's had his low-grade version of the of the Messi role in the past. So while he's, you know, when I say the Messi role, he's not Messi, but he can at least sort of comprehend what it is that the responsibilities of that role yeah. are. And he can also come in on the left. So he's a really good um, sort of a, a versatile substitute. They can do different things. And he, he does rack up assists. So he can create goals for other people. So he's not purely just a single-minded goal scorer. And then I think that just kind of leaves Aguero as your pure kind of number nine substitute. Like the guy you put in. Yeah. Now, he's also good in... in more nuanced ways, but he's a goal scorer. He's in the box and he knows how to put the thing in the net. And so actually, like, as I, as I kind of think about it, I mean, I think the, the ideal scenario is the trio that was last season's Mm. presumed front three with Memphis kind of spelling each of them as needed. And the good thing is that I think Memphis is kind of, tactically and physically versatile enough where he can lend some rest to these guys where come late season, they're not going to be physically taxed and, and gaps. Yeah. I mean, we're positionally you, I worry about certain things in that free role defensively, as I said, but the inverse of that is that Memphis can play is both in both a front two in a three, five, two, and he can play out on the left in a four, three, three. And that versatility means that by and large, he might be in every starting eleven in one of those two positions, regardless of where that is. Uh, And I also want to remind, as we're breaking this down, we're talking about, as we always do, as pundits do, as podcasts do, whatever, we're talking about it's the Champions League final, what's your starting 11. But by that point, I think a lot has been figured out as to who fits in what roles and who fits in what positions. Because truthfully, there's 51 matches this season. Messi basically starts all of them, and then you need to fill in the other two forward spots, if you will, or, as I said, because I don't see the 3-5-2 with so many different forward options. Kayato is the one player we didn't even mention. I want to throw him in there at the end. But I, he'll obviously be a substitute and potentially start some Copa del Rey matches. So we're not, we're not do, overdoing that too much. But, yes, Memphis also, his ability to play up through the middle. When we saw Dembele last season playing that false nine role, where yeah. imagine now Memphis in that false nine role, a position he's played both for the Netherlands and for Lyon occasionally last year when he was coming back from injury. And he can do that job too. So just the versatility is something that both scares me defensively, but I think is also going to be useful over the course of a season. Okay. So yeah. I think that that ends the Memphis conversation at this point, because we have to talk about Messi and everything that we just said could be blown to space. If, if Lino Messi is not coming back to the club. However, you know, as we're jump to, we're going to jump through here, Messi and the general assembly and pick up the pace a little bit. Because for the Messi situation, the only new information, if you will, as I use air quotes, is as somebody mentioned that a statue in front of the Camp Nou would be a helpful way to, uh, to pay him back, if you will, instead of giving him money on a contract. But where we stand with the contract, if that's what we're talking about in the discourse, it's not necessarily a worrying situation, but nothing has changed. Is that it's going to take tons of money in the future, past yeah. this season, for, the next, for his lifetime, to make up for what the club cannot pay him now. Obviously, his wages are going to be down substantially. But it's yep. a matter of Messi, no matter what, Messi will have to return to the club more even out of good faith than he does a, fi- uh, a financial reckoning, if you will. Because Man City, yep. if we're to believe Pep Guardiola, 
And if we're to believe the idea that they're going for a Harry Kane or just a pure number nine, then yep. while Barca might miss out on Erlen Holland, they might you know, miss out on Harry Kane, but it seems like he won't be going there. So that means, does Messi want to go to PSG or does Messi want to stay yep. at Barcelona for, again, a huge discount, basically as an act of good faith, as we know he wants to be there as well. Does he want, yeah. can he actually find himself staying for a, a, another year? So nothing has truly, truly changed. It just, it, it's, an, it's, this information is indicative that this is not a great situation for the club to be in, but it's one that they've found themselves in. It's true. I mean, I think the, I guess like the, the prevailing theory goes that at least what I've heard here, the, the, in the local press, the prevailing theory is, and you know, there's enough of it in kind of the, the wider press too, that he comes back for two years for a final two year run with Barca. He then goes to Miami where he owns considerable, beautiful real estate and you know, does two years with uh, with David Beckham's, uh, what is it, Inter-Miami. And, but while he's there, he's effectively kind of also working on behalf of the club as essentially an ambassador. Right. And, you know, kind of being the, being the Barca flag bearer and, you know, I guess like planting seeds for, for Barca in the United States. And so he'd obviously get paid for that, for that. And then, you know, presumably he would come back and take some sort of a, whether it's, and I don't know if he is kind of a a coaching type, whether it's a coaching role and administrative role or kind of just purely kind of an ambassadorial role. And, but essentially those would almost be kind of personal services contracts Mm -hmm. to make up the money that he, you know, because over two years, I guess, what is the estimate he'd, if he took a 50% pay cut over two years, he'd give up a hundred million. I guess the, the presumption would be that he would be paid as a club ambassador for, for the two years that he's in Miami. And then he would come back and assume some sort of role with the club, yeah. whether it's public facing or, or coaching or something like that, would be very kind of handsomely rewarded for that as well. And look, far be it for me to know what the situation is. And because it's very easy to sit and, I don't want to be the sports fan or the the person on the outside who doesn't have to make these decisions, who says that, well, you've been making a hundred million a year for a few years. I mean, yeah. what does it matter? You're still making 50 million, but yeah, I mean, but you go tell someone to give up 50 million or, you know, 50 million euros. And so I don't know exactly how that kind of shakes out, but at least sort of theoretically that makes sense. Um, I do sincerely believe that he, doesn't want to leave yeah, Barcelona. I've, I actually had a conversation with a couple of friends uh, one evening this past week. So it was kind of, it was almost kind of a two on two. It was myself and another kind of hardcore Barcelona fan on one side. And, you know, our two friends are Italian and Dutch and they were kind of, you know, playing the note of, well, why doesn't Messi want to, you know, why does he just want to like confine himself to his comfort zone? Why doesn't he, want to go challenge himself in another league. I do think that at this point in the game, I don't know that going and challenging himself in kind of the final chapter of his club career, I, again, I can't put myself in the set. I don't know what that would do. He doesn't have to prove himself as a player to anyone. No. Anyone who claims that Messi has anything to prove to them. Is the English is media? Out. Is the English media who is upset that he did not play in the UK? That's that's who it is. He, he never went to Stoke on a cold night. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's it. And like, I don't understand. I don't the to to say that is completely bonkers. So I don't think it's a question of, and I don't know that he necessarily has this burning desire to go to another league. What like to go and like win the French league with PSG, like. I don't know that that would necessarily... Well, he wouldn't be going know, there to win the French and... League. He'd be going there to play with Neymar and Mbappe and yeah, win the champions. The, champions. the only reason he's going. The other thing I would add to the Messi point financially... Can they, that... actually, can they actually sign him and keep both Neymar and Mbappe with FFP? Well, FFP is... It's, it's an absolute joke. After the Super League yeah. thing, I mean, I know this podcast yeah. took the wrong perspective, but what does UEFA do? I mean, the only thing UEFA gets upset about is 
the is in Munich when they're trying to yeah. put the, the... Yeah, they want to put the pride colors up. <laughs> right, on the outside of the state. And that's the only thing UEFA pushes hard on. They say keep politics yeah. out of it. But when it comes to FFP and PSG and Man City, I mean, even even Joan Laporte says we're going to pivot to the General Assembly, that, I mean, he said that the Barca Assembly, they didn't vote on the Super League because there's no format in place that's, quote, that's quoted by Laporta. But he says that it's still in play, this coming on the back of UEFA not punishing Barca, Real Madrid, or Juventus. So the only thing, I mean, yeah. I say this for almost someone against Barcelona, that because UEFA didn't punish Barca, I mean, we can't take anything about UEFA seriously moving forward other than them yeah. dipping their hat into saying, hey, you know, we can't far-right politics that make us uncomfortable, they're just an institutional part of those political structures in those countries, so we just have to live with that. Same thing with, you know, as, as I like to say, with the petrol states, that those are just, that's an institutional part of football. We have to understand that. That that's It's just yeah. a bad, don't follow the money, right? The money's coming in. Don't follow the money about where that money comes from or from whom it comes from, because that's just a part of, you know, whatever happens behind the scenes is for us, UEFA, FIFA, for us to decide. But then everything yeah. is front viewing, every anything that's whether it be social justice or whatever's trending on social media, that's where we have to be careful about, right? Because that's all about PR and public image. And yeah. final point on Messi, PR wise, is I think Messi's team is going through the, the calculations of even staying in Barcelona might continue to give him more revenue in terms of his marketability than potentially moving elsewhere. And I think that is an important part of his equation. Because I, I'm not sure even coming to the States in two years. Reminder, he's also turning 33 on this Thursday. So two days from 34. now. 34. Or 34, rather. Yeah, yeah. Are you sure? Is it 34? Yeah, he's born in 87. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, he's 34. So now we're assuming that he's going to stay till 30, right, to 35. And that's, that's getting up there. He's getting to a point where you wonder... Yeah you know, what he's capable of and what he can physically do. Yet, as I said, we're expecting even at the age of 34 that he's going to start 100% of matches because he's kind of a, you know, he's, he's kind of an alien. I want to give you the final point on Messi, yeah. though, but I do want to talk General Assembly before we go and a few other little notes, too. Also, if I don't, uh, if I don't know on Messi, I, mean, I don't know what it's going to look like. And I know, I guess we're, we're up against the clock. We're, what, eight days from now? His, yeah, eight days from now, his, his contract expires. And... There's not a renewal in place. I think there will be a renewal in place. I don't know that he's going to sort of 11th hour leave. And I, I do imagine that Laporta is pulling every, kind of turning every knob and pulling every lever that, lever that he possibly can to, to make it palatable for Messi to stay, while also knowing that Messi and his family, which is genuinely the, the most important thing in his world, mm-hmm doesn't you know they don't want to move they you know even with all the money in the world they don't want to move to paris and that is going to matter to him so i do think that i think he's going to stay and i think kind of that scenario that's been laid out the the two years here the two years in miami and then just sort of a a future as sort of mr mr barca or whatever that whatever that entails kind of i think that is what ultimately plays out but i think you bring up a really good point too that like we all just have such unwavering, undying faith in Messi and all that he does and all that he can do. The the notion, I mean, he still feels sort of 26 in a weird way because, like, he still doesn't look old. You know what I mean? Like, so you look at him and you forget that he's a guy that has so much mileage on the tires and you don't want to break this guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's... This is the time where something like that would happen. And so I, I do think it's smart to have, have a Memphis, have, you know, ideally, you know, we need Antofati to stay healthy and have, you know, because I don't know if Messi's going to carry the same sort of minutes burden. And I agree with you that leaving to go somewhere else for these kind of final two years, let's even say three years of kind of peak performance I don't know that that would do anything for him kind of commercially in the sense that he would kind of look like the weird kind of, you know, occasionally you see players who are so associated with one team or one club and you see them in the last couple of years of their careers wearing some other jersey and it just looks completely bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I know and, I know you're thinking of the Hakeem Olajuwon and Patrick Ewing jerseys when they were playing I for the Magic and the Raptors. That's what I always I think sure of. I am. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and the thing is, 
I don't know that that does anything. I mean, even if you play well, all of your sort of moments, he's come so far down this road that I, at this point, I don't know that there is sort of a, a tactical, a tactical pivot. Yeah. You know I mean? I think he's kind of like cast that, that die has sort of been cast a little bit. And so, I mean, I think he is best served sort of doing this and playing it out sort of the, the, the Barca road. Yeah. I mean, imagine him, I mean, imagine the narrative, imagine the storybook with him, not maybe this year, but next year at the age of 35, winning his final Champions League with Barcelona. I, I know that that's optimistic. I know that's dreaming, but I say sure. just imagine it. Ima- right? Imagine the narrative. Imagine how we consider his career, even through all the struggles, to finally get to the end of that mountain. I mean, that's what we want, right? We want, as fans, as as romantics of football, we want the, the hero's journey to end, right? With the culmination yeah. of that trophy. But yes, yeah, so General Assembly to the... Really, really exciting news here as we try to wrap this up on rapid fire stuff. I want to remind people quickly that the players coming to Barca that, you know, oh, all these new players are coming in, but nobody left yet. Well, I want to remind people that for less than the next eight days, the players that they've received or that have come to Barca are free agents, which is why it's Aguero, Memphis, Garcia, and then Emerson was also an option, remember, for the club to to repurchase it. So that was not a surprise there. And that's why no Barca players have been sent out the door either, because none of them are free agents. So they are still under contract at least, well, throughout the whole year. So they can only move in that window. And it's also prudent for, yes, you hear rumors and things like this, but they cannot actually start those negotiations, truly start those negotiations in public and have those things leak. Because right. there, there are fines that are, the club would be, uh, yeah, would be fine. They'd be in a little bit of trouble if they were to start those exit negotiations prior to July 1st. So I just want to remind people of that. Also, another note too, the free agent market. I don't know if this is a little pivot for the for free agency, if you will, but Aguero was the 14th most valuable free agent signing ever recorded according to Transfermarkt. Memphis is the third, and when I say most valuable, again, according to Transfermarkt, that's players who are valued at a certain amount on the open market. So Memphis is the third most valuable on the open market free agent in history. The top two, Bayern Munich's Lewandowski from Bayern to uh, from Dortmund to Bayern, and can you guess the other one? It's, it was this summer. Oh, it was this summer. Hold on. Oh my God, why am I? It's one that's upsetting. <laughs> it's one that's pretty upsetting to Kool-Aid. That's your hint. I'm I'm blanking on the name. Yeah, I don't want to. So David, so David Alaba to Real Madrid yes. is is, is yeah. the, the unfortunate part of that. Okay, so I just want to throw that in there. The other big. I was actually going to because you they got Pirlo for free too, right? Yes, but his market value at that time just wasn't it wasn't high. I mean, it's, it's oh. in the top fifty, but it's not. It wasn't that that high. I think. James Rodriguez, who I already mentioned, Everton was was up there, top five, top ten. But anyway, oh, we're, okay. we're off the beaten path yep. here. So back to the assembly. Yep. Uh, I already talked about the Super League news. I mean, that's pretty wild that Barca is still doubling down. But again, if they're not going to be punished, they're obviously going to see this out as unfortunate. And it seems like the fans haven't been able to show enough frustration with it to for Barca to change their to change their tone. The big news, though, was an approval of a 525 million euro loan to make payments for past transfers wages and uh, business behind the scenes and not new signings. So it's a 15-year loan with 3% interest. You know, that's pretty boilerplate, pretty standard as to what a a football club loan is going to look like with with 3% interest. I've seen loans with higher. I've seen loans with lower. But because of the the way that they probably had to negotiate it, that's why 3% is as high as it is. He also said, that being reported, that there are three or four more signings being prepared. But what I was happy is to see... I mean, I want you to pick from those what stands out to you. But what stood out to me is some of the socios in the General Assembly. There were things like giving more time. I mean, there were two different responses about the women's team, about to stop calling the men's team the first team and to call it a men's team and a women's team and separate in that way. So uh, shouts to, I know he doesn't speak English, but shouts to that gentleman (laughs) who had that that response. And then then the woman as well who mentioned about putting more of a, a... media and more of a uh, just a, a financial backing of the way that information about the feminine is disseminated. And so a shout to that, that socio as well and the comment that she made. So there is certainly an emphasis on Barca trying to retake and basically be a club that can show how progressive they are to the rest of the world because of what they're doing for not only women's football, but trying to put their mark back in the world of progress. I mean, that's good PR. 
if anything. But to yeah. hear the socios, before the club can take it on its own and manufacture it in a PR way, for the socios themselves to say, hey, we don't want your PR. We want you to, to do this thing, to be the progressive club mm-hmm. that's built on the values that we know and love. Yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what people actually want here is kind of that, sort of live, live the ideal that you set. I mean, Barca is so kind of so ingrained. It's so part of the fabric. It's, it's everything. And I mean, you know, the, the past, it was probably a slow, slow burn over the first half of like the, the past 20 years. But over the past 20 years, Barca went from being as kind of hardcore sort of of the people for the people. And look, there's always been, so I know like all different presidents have their own agenda. And honestly, this might have even actually started with the sort of the, the Nunez years, which began in the late 70s. But the, I guess, sort of the, the growth of the club into a, a global operation and sort of a, a much more, much more of a brand, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, for lack of a better phrase, that's really where it started. I mean, I think where that kind of, got a little bit of a reprieve was with the return of Cruyff and the dream team sort of right smack in the middle of that between, you know, sort of that late eighties to 94. So it kind of became regrounded in what it is that, that Barca is and, or strives to be. And then, you know, from there, it was kind of, it was the Robson years and everything else and the, the Van Hall years. And then we sort of got another reset when you know the the right card years were fantastic and you know so Ronaldinho jump started everything again and then the the pep years sort of were a great kind of turn back the clock to to the arrival of Cruyff and that sort of it was almost just kind of a I don't know almost like a rebirth or sort of it's sort of almost like a like a purifying ritual if nothing else but then in sort of you know over the last six years, five years, seven years, something like that. It's just become, you know, the the managerial appointments and I would almost even say post Luis Enrique. So I know that's what, maybe six years ago. Yeah. It was kind of from that point it became and I know that uh Sandra Rossell and Bartomeo were running the club for effectively the last decade. And I think it just became so much of a commercial operation. Corporate is the word I was thinking. Yeah, I felt it just feels so corporate. Yeah. Everything is big signings and everything is so. And I think you and I talked about sort of doing good business or prudent business in the transfer market or in sort of player trading. And there was so little emphasis put on that. And everything became sort of the the ceremony to announce the new 40 million euro signing or the new 60 million euro signing sort of was, became the band-aids on, on everything. And it was almost meant, and I don't want to be too cynical, but I think they were almost meant as sort of misdirection plays to sort of divert attention from what wasn't being done by the club. And I think sort of, I want to bring that back to the talk about sort of, focusing on the the feminine and the just the, the women's setup because in a strange way like at this at this very moment in time sort of the the football side of Barcelona looks so much it, it's a little bit almost like the the United States national team where the women are spectacular and just absolutely loaded and a juggernaut and so much attention is still going to the men, you know, and and I and I do think that that the Barcelona women's team sort of plays just such a beautiful brand, and they are just such a fun team, and they have personalities, yeah. and they are just so easy to embrace and love. I I do think that there needs to be more emphasis there, and I do think that there doesn't need to be a little bit of emphasis on even if there have to be a couple of lean years, just sort of clean the men's roster, sort of, you know, take out the the long-term sort of really cumbersome albatross financial commitments and go back to being a club that, that plays away and mm. brings talented people in. So I'm actually just uh, rereading Sid Lowe's 
great book. Um, yeah, Fear and Loathing in the Liga. Yeah, Fear and Loathing in the Liga. And I was actually just rereading the part where about where uh, Guardiola got hired, and there was no business hiring this guy. And lo and behold, you wound up with this culture changing manager. And I think both in terms of players and, I mean, less so managers, but, but in terms of players and managers, I think almost the, the, the star hunting has come to sort of subsume the idea of sort of nurturing and growth. And I think if you can actually take even a moment and sort of clear the decks, emphasize the fact that you have the best women's team in the world right now, and also get the men's team back to a point where it is a little bit more of a sustainable operation and everything isn't sort of, you know, financially sort of walking a tightrope and hoping that you win the Champions League to sort of make the make the commitments, you know, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I want to jump in on the women's point that by saying that you want more accessibility to media and content about the women, one of the easiest complaints that you've heard about even those watching Barca TV is that at halftime of the women's matches it should be women's highlights so yes. create women's highlight packages at halftime that's like one of the simplest complaints that seems that seems to have gone viral it's not saying give less access give less accessibility and less content about the men it's saying more content about the women that also yeah. supplants the regular content we're expecting like right now on barca tv again i also working with barca so full disclosure there but the the cooking series that they're doing right now it's i've enjoyed that it's tons of fun it was with ricky Pooj and oscar mingaitha did it and I'm trying to remember oh and then it was serginio des and Conor de la fuente that's a fun series right it doesn't yeah. i'm not saying stop doing those fun series i'm saying yeah i mean sub, supplant that with additional content as you get to know the, the, the feminine. And now the yeah. big difference is that a lot of the men, because of their, some of their backgrounds and the feminine are much more of a Spanish based team. It is not an international mm -hmm. team. So you only have a few members of that team who speak English. So the global audience, the content about the global audience is a little more difficult. So if you want to hear from Jenny, well, I think Jenny speaks a bit of English, but if you want to hear from Alexia Puteas, you you just basically have to watch the content in Spanish. But also, Lino Messi only produces content in Spanish when they do interviews with him. Yeah, he, he doesn't speak English. Right, and he very rarely <laughs> speaks English. So that's kind of not an excuse to have your best player not really producing content for you because there's other players on the team who can produce content. I would almost say make the content in in the language and in the context that the players are comfortable with, at sure. least initially. And if that proves to be a problem at some point, then whatever. That that's a bridge you cross when you get to it. Right. But for right now, you have these really like fun, engaging, and hyper talented and I mean incredibly uh, incredibly accomplished women doing like awesome stuff. Yeah. And when you watch their, you know, when you see, like, if you watch like Twitter videos or like Instagram videos and stuff like that, they have a blast when they're together. Like they're just yeah. like, they're laughing. They're just kind of like doing all kinds of like, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I want to see the PR machine. I want to see the PR machine convince the rest you of, you don't even have to work that hard with them. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is not even off the field. I'm saying take what they've done on the field. I want the yeah. PR machine to get on the Atani Banmati train and prove to the rest yeah. of the world that Alexi Puteas and Atani Banmati are two of the top six or seven or ten midfielders in the world because that's what they were last year, right? Yeah, they are. <laughs> right. So convince the rest of the world that with that PR machine. So, yeah, I mean, we yeah. could do this forever. So I want to yeah. quickly go through the final piece of business. Unfortunately, as much as we're talking about the Femini, there's no updates on the Luis Cortez front. The only difference is that it seems like institutionally on Thursday that he would be staying and they would rectify some of those issues. Today, it seems like that is different, that Luis Cortez at the end of the season is most likely going to be replaced. We'll have more on that story when, when it gets to it. So I didn't, it wasn't merely giving, it wasn't merely skipping over that story because of time. It's just, there's not much yeah. to change other than now likely he is out. Other note here, Mallorca, Rayo and Espanol, the promoted teams. I personally like it. I like Mallorca. I like Rayo Vallecano. Yeah. It's the one team in Madrid that I find to be a little bit of, of fun and not frustrating. And then uh, Espanol. I really coming, enjoy Rayo. Right. I, and, then, I, I really like that. and then Espanol coming up to get uh, beaten up by Barcelona twice a year. I'm cool with that too. Uh, as always, you know, I, I don't shy away from a, a rivalry that is pretty one-sided so those are three I mean, of those three teams we got a couple of good friends here who are 
diehard Espanol fans. So, you know, for on, on their on their behalf, I'm I'm happy that Espanol are back. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we can scream at each other, you know, two nights out of the season more than usual. And uh, and so that that will be fun. I mean it's it kind of it, it feels right to have the sort of the, the city rivalry back on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the final thing, final note for the show as we wrap up, the Euros and the Copa America, which we didn't talk about at all. Barca players are playing in those. Emil, for time's sake, what is one thing that stood out to you from the Euros or the Copa in the last week? Well, I mean, my favorite thing was, I mean, just with everything that was swirling around him, I was genuinely just like deeply happy for uh, Alvaro scoring. Oh. <laughs> uh, it just like, I mean, I, I thought so you were going but okay. <laughs> Yeah, like no, I mean, like it's it's not Barca, but I mean that just kind of the watching Spain. But um, I mean, I actually um, I watched extended highlights. I didn't watch the game live of uh, Argentina. Argentina's one nil win, and I mean, I think the wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. They scored a goal, and it wasn't fun. I can tell you, I watched the no, whole thing. Really, not a great, not fun. No, like it was it was very workmanlike. But it's the sort of thing that they fail to do so often. It's, they'll do like 80 to 90% of a work and like win, but then sort of botch it up at the end. And it was sort of, it, it was at least encouraging to, to see them get it over the line. And, you know, like the, the players and all the comments from them, whether it was Messi or all the other guys were, it was just, it was very upbeat. I think just simply logging a win, you know, logging those three points, I think sort of, did well for their confidence. And so they are, you know, I mean, they're obviously going to go through to, to the knockouts, but I think, I think getting those kinds of wins, because as much attacking talent as Argentina, as Argentina have, they, they have baffling, bafflingly few sort of spectacular sort of four or five goal wins. So Sadly, I mean, I guess this is just what their victories look like. I don't know, so, though, because that's, that's all across South America, though. South America, they don't beat each other by multiple goals, other than Brazil will right. beat up sometimes on Bolivia right. or Peru. But other than those two matchups, yeah, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, I mean, yeah. never in the south of Brazil. So we're talking Chile as well. It yeah. never happens. I know, it's true. And so, I mean, I think this is what they have to do. I mean, because... The, the talent doesn't necessarily translate into the number of goals that sort of the 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 layman or even just kind of like the, the numbers would suggest. So I think it was I I really enjoyed kind of watching them get that win. I am you know, I'm pulling for them to win this tournament. Mm-hmm. I, I want Likewise. Leo to I want Leo to hold up a a major yeah. international yeah. trophy. And so that that made me very happy. The, the game itself is a bit of a slog, but the, the end result was great. Yeah, I'm going to jump over to the, the Euros for a second and say that I know it's not going to happen, but I was happy to see Denmark, uh, not because of Martin Braithwaite, uh, Brothwaite even, but I'm, again, a romantic here who doesn't really have yeah. necessarily a team in the Euros, so I was excited to see Denmark move on, get to the awesome. 16 for, for Christian Eriksen, and then I was also excited to see, uh, I mean, and yeah, and I would love it if Denmark wound up winning at the end not just because of Christian Eriksen just because you could see due to what happened with him that there's a togetherness in that squad that does that can't possibly it cannot fathomly exist anywhere else just because of what wow. they're fighting for now and so totally. as, as a little bit of a romantic having this team fight for this extra bit of something this season that is very tangible I mean uh, in yeah. this tournament yeah it would be awesome to see but yeah I can't see that happening but even then you saw what Hungary did to France and my other big takeaway is having watched that match, even the, the giant above all giants, the favorite of the tournament, they can have a bad match in the way that Portugal, I mean, even last week I said, what, France, Portugal, and somebody else I said was the... I mean, we said Italy, so... Oh, Italy, right, right. It. So, we got Italy, right. Right, right. So, right, <laughs> Italy are now easily the tournament favorites, but they've also, mm-hmm. it's only three group stage, uh, group stage games, but they've gone three right. group stage matches without conceding a goal the first time in Euro history that that happened. So yeah. a, a historic group stage for Italy, you know, that said, the knockouts are a told, totally different monster because now they're going to be playing Isn't a team. Awesome stat too. Out. Italy had never scored uh, three goals in a Euro, in a Euros match. It's pretty incredible. That's a, that's, a, that's a more incredible stat, I think. Actually. And then they came out with like seven in the first two. Yeah, that was, 
Yeah, that I'm, I am enjoying them. Yeah, I mean, I think France, I think, is, is funny because they're you can frustrate them, and I think that they are prone to the to the odd bad match. And against the right opponent, they could be upset, or at the very least, kind of held to a held to a you know a, a shootout, which kind of I'm not going to say it's a lottery, but you know it's, it, it does become a little bit more of anyone's game. But I think France is a little bit of like they're kind of towing two lines between frustration, and I could very easily see them sort of firing on all cylinders and putting five past someone <laughs> one day. And so, but with, with them, I think there's just, it's not flowing as, as easily as I think we all assumed it would. I think we just figured they would put kind of two or three up every match and just kind of, just kind of walk, you know, walk through the group stage. And, and I know they're, they're playing, they're playing against, you know, real opposition and difficult opposition, but it, it's been, less kind of it's been less kind of linear you know it's been it's been a little bit a little bit more fits and starts with them yep and uh we hope that you enjoy the knockouts we hope everyone enjoys you yeah. know getting into the football that uh where teams are actually really eliminated and and we're hoping to see some pretty high caliber matches but as i said it's just it's a lot of football it's a lot of football but it's also a lot of podcasting since we've been doing it's two curious. shows a week mm-hmm. i hope people have been joining the two shows a week because that'll wrap up another edition of this show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, our closed Facebook group where we heard the LaRonda questions on Thursday. That's the Barcelona Podcast. Answer the questions. I'll let you into the group. It's a, it's a good community to be a part of. The Patreon is how we keep making these shows and also how you can listen to these without the ads over there. Little financial incentive to support the show as well. We're also on YouTube. Uh, I usually had the match reviews from the season. That's the Barcelona Podcast, but you can also watch a portion of these up on YouTube for the video versions. I've been putting less. I want people to put you in our ear, uh, put us in your ears instead of uh, just watching us, uh, watching us on YouTube. A lot of negativity over there. So our podcast community is a little healthier. So I've been doing these shorter versions just on YouTube. Uh, yeah, and then the final point is too that I do want to hear if you're still with us at this point in the show. I have been getting calls about merch. I have been getting some, again, some people questioning things that are being happening on the back end for good reasons. So if you are interested in merch, if that's something that's still on your radar, I've been doing some research on it. I want you to reach out to the show. Uh, or reach out to me individually. If you're in the closed listener group, let me know. At me in the uh, closed Facebook group. DM me on uh, at the Barcelona pod on Twitter as well or Instagram. So I do want to hear some feedback about that merch. I I will commit to it if enough people I know on the back end are committed to it just beyond the survey that we did a few months ago. So that's all the things going on behind the scenes. If you're still with us, I mean, God bless you. And thank you so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for the Barcelona. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.